How's everybody doing tonight? All right. Well, did uh, anybody that uh, ate today, did you get full? Amen. Did anybody take a nap? You know, I didn't get to take a nap today, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. And you know, uh, we have a barbecue in Oklahoma, but it's not like barbecue in North Carolina. And I can say I like both. Uh, but it's been a long time since I've had some of this good uh, East Carolina barbecue, and it was good. Uh, uh, it was really good. It's just good to be to be here with you, and uh, uh, we're just going to get after it, okay? If you have a copy of God's Word, let's turn to First Peter, First Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine. First Peter chapter five, verses eight and nine. If you would. Uh, Please stand with me in honor and in reverence of the reading of God's holy word. Starting with verse 8, the Bible says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Once again, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking For someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Because you know. That your brothers throughout the world. Are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet. And a light to our pathway. And Lord I pray tonight. As we look at your word. That you would speak to us loud and clear. I pray that we would hear the words of wisdom and the words of warning coming from this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray for the next few moments that we would tune things out. I pray that we would tune out things that happened earlier today or earlier this week. I I pray that we would tune out politics. I pray that we would tune out the weather. God, I pray that we would tune out those things that are coming up uh, tomorrow and the rest of this week. But for the next few moments, God, I pray that we would... Give you our attention, and may you speak to us. I pray that you would allow me to to decrease, and and that your spirit would increase, and I would preach your word and not my own. Allow me to preach with boldness and passion. May we be challenged, and oh God, I pray that may we be changed tonight. Thank you for everyone who is here. We could be doing most anything, but we've chosen to be in your house. Bless us for that. Bless our time together tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Um, tonight, I'm just going to get real with you. Um, we're talking about spiritual warfare, and can I, can I just go ahead and tell you that spiritual warfare is real, the enemy is real, it's, um, it's hard. And I'm going to get personal tonight, because um, I think too many times we gloss over life. And we gloss over stuff. And I don't think we get real enough. But we need to to understand. And a phrase that I use quite often. It is what it is. Okay. Too many times we, we gloss over things. 
but spiritual warfare, and we'll see this later in the text, but we need to, we need to understand it because we need to deal with it. We need to understand it because we need to deal with it. It's, it's happening. Just to get personal, um, God has blessed our church at uh, Ada First Baptist Church. We've had a great time. We've been there eight and a half years, and God has done some amazing things, things in my mind that I would have never dreamed possible, okay? So we're rolling along, and things are going great, and about... Six or seven months ago, I'm in my office and having prayer time. And I remember getting up after praying and spending some time in God's Word. And and this thought crosses my mind. I'm behind my desk and this is the thought that crosses my mind. Because things are going so well. The church is is probably larger than it's been in a long time. Um... Things are just going well. We're completely staffed. We're reaching as many people as as we've reached since I've been there. And things are going great. And I asked myself this question. God, I wonder what the next thing is. I just wonder what's going to happen. What's the next uh, roadblock? What's the next adversity? What's the next thing? Let me tell you. Let's just get real for a second. When someone asks you, how's it going? What's our typical response? Oh, we're doing good. Our heart might be broken. Our spirit might be smashed flat on the ground, but we say we're doing fine. But life's tough. Adversity is real. It probably wasn't six weeks after that. Not going to get into the gory details. But we have nine full-time ministry staff people at our church. And six, about six weeks after I asked that question, I wonder what's going to happen next. About six weeks after, in a period of about a month or five weeks, we lost four of our staff people. Four. Like I said, I'm not going into the gory details what happened, but it was not good. And I realized Satan is active. And I realized he is vicious like a roaring lion and he's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. And if you're trying to be about the business of the master, he's after us. He's after us as followers of Christ. He's after us if we're a church that has a heart for Christ. He wants to seek, destroy, mutilate, tear us down, and make us worthless. That's what he wants to do. And if we're doing nothing, hear this. It's a Miyagi moment. Look, I. If we're doing nothing... He's satisfied with that. He's satisfied with that. And the worst life we'll ever live is a mundane life with no real adversity where we know Satan is on the warpath. God's not called us to live that kind of life. 
Once again, I told you that every passage of Scripture has context. Every passage of Scripture has truth. And every passage of Scripture has application. The context here, when you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to to believers who are being persecuted. Some of the worst persecution probably recorded in all of history. 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter. Most scholars agree somewhere in 64 or 65 A.D. He wrote this letter to the followers of Christ scattered throughout the Roman province. And he wrote this letter to encourage, instruct, and, and strengthen the followers of Christ. At this time, when this letter's being written and, and Peter is writing to encourage everyone, as I've already said, it's one of the worst times of, of persecution, at least to believers, probably in all of recorded history. At this time, Nero was the leader of Rome, and he caused the followers of Christ to be severely persecuted. Under Nero's leadership, followers of Christ were tortured, imprisoned, and often martyred for the cause of Christ. To be a follower of Christ during this difficult time was hard. Matter of fact, many who claimed to follow Christ walked away from Christ because the cost to follow Christ was too great. I believe with all of my heart in in churches far and wide across America, we've made following Christ too easy. And I want to submit to you, there's a lot of people who say, I'm a follower of Christ. But let me tell you, if it hasn't cost you everything, more than likely, you're not a follower of Christ. If Jesus isn't at the forefront of who we are, if Jesus isn't at the core and the center of of our very existence, we don't know Christ. It's a flimsy excuse, but it's not a relationship with Christ. It's an association with Christ. And there's a difference between an association and a relationship. If we can walk away from Christ to, to avoid conflict, to avoid commitment, we may have an issue. Many people walked away from Christ in this environment because the, the commitment to follow Christ was too great. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, what can I do to obtain eternal life? What did Jesus tell him? Jesus said, you sell everything, give away everything that you have, sell your possessions, give it away to the poor, then you come follow me. And what happened to that rich young guy? He walked away sad that day. Why? Because he didn't want to give away his stuff. The commitment to follow Christ is great. If we follow Christ, we will face adversity. This letter was not meant for pretenders. It was meant for those who realized they were strangers in a foreign land. This letter was written to authentic followers, committed followers of Christ. In the summer of 64, once again, this letter was written 64, 65 AD. A devastating fire burned in Rome for six days. This fire burned for six days and destroyed three quarters of the city. 
The citizens of Rome blamed Nero for the destruction, believing he started the fire for his own amusement. Many historical scholars will say that Nero was not close to being a madman. He was a madman. And many scholars say that he set this fire to Rome for his own amusement. However, in response to the accusations from the citizens of Rome, he blamed the Christians for the fire. At that point, every Christian that could be found was rounded up and put to death in the most horrific manner for the amusement of the citizens of Rome. In their deaths, Christians were made the subject of sport. For instance, some Christians were rounded up and they were covered with wild skins, skins from wild beasts, and they were set off into the street and wild dogs were released and attacked these believers in wild skins for the, for the sport of the citizens of Rome. In their deaths, Christians were made sport of. They were uh, covered with, once again, hides of, of beasts and, and attacked by vicious dogs. Some were nailed to crosses. Others were burned at the stake. In the evening, when darkness started to overtake the city, some Christians were hung on poles throughout the city and burned to serve as evening lights. Christians were made sport of in the arena where they were chased down, mauled, and eaten by half-starved lions. Can I tell you, it was tough following Christ in those days. And that's when Peter is writing to believers. And he's writing to them, warning them and giving them wisdom. And he's writing to them and he's trying to encourage them. When the Apostle Peter wrote this letter, he realized that everyone who follows Christ is at war. Everyone who follows Christ is at war. This is no ordinary war. It's spiritual warfare and the stakes are very, very high. In this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Peter gives us words of warning and words of wisdom to those who follow Christ. So I'm going to ask you, if you write in the margins of your Bible, if you underscore things in your Bible, if you take notes, I'm going to ask you to get your pen out and, and write some of these things down because these are truths we need to know in the day and time in which we live. Now, if you're a pretender, you're not going to want to hear what I'm going to say tonight. If you're a pretender and you're not all in and you're not serving Christ, you do not really want to hear what I've got to say. But if you are an authentic follower of Christ and your heart beats for Christ and you're committed to follow Christ, you need to hear what I'm going to say. You need to hear what Peter has to say to us. So if we're authentic followers of Christ, listen closely to what Peter says because Peter is not only speaking to us, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to us. Words of warning and words of wisdom to those who truly follow Christ. Verse 8, we have words of warning. Words of warning, hear him. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Mark this down. If we are an, are an authentic follower of Christ, if we're committed to following Christ, we're involved in spiritual warfare. And because we're involved in spiritual warfare, Peter says, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. 
The phrase self-controlled comes from uh, the Greek idea, nepho, which carries with it the idea of being sober. Be awake, literally meaning be free from the influence of things that cause us to lose focus. Be self-controlled. Be, be free from the influence of those things that cause us to lose focus. In the state of Oklahoma, they have this huge, uh, this huge program is underway, and it's about texting and driving. It will soon be a law in Oklahoma that uh, you can not only get a ticket, but you can be prosecuted if you are texting and driving. And they're also thinking about making that uh, uh, to include uh, eating food or drinking a drink in your car. Well, that idea stinks. <laughs> but texting, I, I, I get that. When we lose focus... And when our eyes are off the goal, when we take our eyes off the road and our attention is drawn somewhere else, devastating things can happen. So he's saying, we're involved in spiritual warfare. Be, be sober and awake. Be free from the influence of things that cause us to lose focus. He also says, be alert. This word alert comes from the Greek word uh, Gregoreo, which literally carries with the idea, be watchful, be vigilant, be expectant. How many of you like surprises? I don't like to get scared. I remember one time we were here in Goldsboro watching a movie with Brad and Marianne Carmichael. And this movie, we were having a good time, but it was scary and I get emotional. And this scary part came, and I threw the napkin I had in my hand. If it had been a rock, I'd have knocked the woman out in front of me. It was a napkin. I got so scared, I threw that napkin, and it bounced off this woman's hair. She must have had hairspray on because it didn't sink in. It kind of bounced around and landed on her shoulder. I could see her doing that, and all of a sudden she went and got it off, and, and it was done. I do not like surprises. I don't like that. If we're not paying attention, Satan without warning, he will attack. So Peter's saying, be self-controlled, be alert. The person that is self-controlled and alert is expecting the enemy to attack and is taking measures to be ready whenever the enemy strikes. Now, I want to describe to you what it looks like when the enemy attacks. I want to describe to you what it looks like when the enemy attacks, okay? I think I may have shared this story when I was here several years ago, but most of you have probably never heard it, but I was on the high school basketball team and I was a junior. I barely made the team. Matter of fact, if I had a photo from my yearbook, there's 16 players on the team. I was number 16. The coach said he could not cut me. So there I am, number 16 on the bench. But when we show up to games, whether it's at home or away, I make every layup, I make good passes, I, I'm into the game. Matter of fact, when we're sitting on the sidelines, I know the offense we're in, I know the defense we're in, I know if we're running a half-court press or a full-court press or just falling back into our offense. 
I know if I'm going to be in the game, what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to be, because I want to get in the game. And if I get in the game, I don't want to blow it. But I never got in the game. But many times, guys that were in the game would sit next to me because they'd want to know what offense we running, what defense we running. I'd just tell them. And any time the coach looked down the bench, man, I was waving with my eyes. Have you ever waved with your eyes? Hey, look at me. It must have been a dorky look because he never put me in. But I wanted in. I wanted to play. We're at Irwin High School. And we're somewhere in the first quarter, maybe going into the second quarter, and it happened. I'm sitting there, and I'm into the game, and this tap is on my shoulder. I don't pay attention to it at first because I'm in the game. But another tap on my shoulder, and I took my eyes off the game and turned around. And all of a sudden, this harp in my mind started playing. There's this girl tapping me on the shoulder, and she's nice. When I say she's nice, I don't know if she's friendly or not, but she's pretty. And I, I'm, I'm really not dating. I'm only, I've got glasses and kneecaps. Those are the greatest features about me. I'm so skinny. It's glasses and kneecaps. I turn around and this pretty girl, she's tapping me on the shoulder. And I'm like, whoa. The game is no longer on my mind. She says, what's your name? I could care less we're in a ball game now. I tell her my name as quick as I can because here's what I'm thinking. She probably saw me doing layups out there and she thinks I'm a stud. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I made some great passes. I'm, uh, she probably realizes there's more behind these glasses than, than meets the eye. So I'm having this conversation while the game's going on. She's wanting to know my name and a few things. And she said, well, I know you're in the game and, and you're watching the game. And then I don't want to bother you any. Um, I'll let you go back. It sure was nice to meet you, Pat. She turns around to leave and I turn around. But guess what? I'm no longer thinking about the basketball game. I'm thinking about this girl and how hot she is and how, I, man, I must be a stud. And, and I'm thinking about her. We get into halftime and I'm thinking about this girl. And I'm like, I'm excited. Thinking about this girl. Halftime's over. We're doing our layups. I don't even care if I make them. There's a girl and she's pretty and she said she likes me. She noticed me. We're halfway through the third quarter, and then I hear it. The whole student section from Irwin High School across the floor, probably more than 100 of them, are doing this. Boom, 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 boom. Put pad in! Put pad in! Yeah, you're laughing. I was like, I was like, what have you done? This girl didn't like me. It hurt my feelings. She didn't think I was a stud. It hurt my feelings that she picked out the biggest loser dork on the whole team. And she humiliated me.
But worse than humiliating me, she humiliated our team. She humiliated our coach. She and the entire group humiliated our school. And it made me very sad. It made me very angry that I was so easy to fall for a stunt like that. Whoever hears about that happening anyway? That's crazy, isn't it? I've often wondered why God allowed just crazy things to happen to me. Maybe he knew he was going to call me to pray. I don't know. But I thought... Dear Lord, what have I done? It was humiliating. They were laughing and making sport. And I understand when I think about that story, that's what an attack from Satan really looks like. He's a con artist. And he says we're good. And he says we've got it under control. And he says we're smart. And he says we're good. And then out of nowhere, you get hit by the bus. Be alert. Be self-controlled. The enemy, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And if you're not intimidated by Satan... If you're not intimidated by Satan and the awesomeness of the fact that he can ruin, dis- destroy, devastate, and mangle your life, making you useless, you severely underestimate his power. Have you ever heard a lion roar? Anybody ever heard a lion roar? You can hear a lion roar, some have said, from five miles away. They're vicious. Full-grown lion from the tip of his nose to the tip of his tail, somewhere around 10 feet long. Some of them stand almost 5 feet high. They can eat 75 pounds of meat at one sitting. We're no match for the lion. Peter is saying to those who follow Christ, be alert, be self-controlled. He's attacking, and it comes without warning. As followers of Christ... Be warned. Three things, and I go quickly. The enemy is real. The enemy is real. He says, your enemy, the devil. The word translated enemy literally carries with it the idea, your opponent. And, and it carries with it this slant. Your opponent as in a lawsuit. So in other, in other words, your opponent, the accuser. The accuser, your adversary, the arch enemy of your soul. You know, you know what hurts is when we do something wrong, the Spirit of God convicts us. We can repent, confess and repent, and God removes our sin. That's conviction. But guilt, guilt is what we carry with us, and Satan is the one who accuses us. The enemy who accuses us and makes us feel like trash. He's the one who seeks to wreck us. He's our adversary. He's the arch enemy of who we are. He wants to drag us down and make us worthless. Your enemy, the enemy is real. Be warned. Your enemy is the devil. 
The word translated devil comes from the Greek word diabolos. That's where we would get our word diabolic or diabolical. This word once again means accuser but slanderer. It is used 34 times in the New Testament and it's always as a title for Satan. So the accuser and the slanderer who wants to tear you down, he's your enemy, it's the devil. Satan is the created being who rebelled against God. He's personal, evil, he's a world power represented in Scripture as the adversary of both God and humanity. Jesus said in Luke 10:18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. From the moment Satan rebelled against God, God rejected him. And Satan has been at war against God and humanity and will seek to destroy both God and humanity until he's cast into the lake of fire. That's what he's going to do. Now, there's going to be a thousand-year time in the millennium where, where he's not affecting us. But other than that, it's his drive. It's his ambition. He will not rest. He seeks to destroy God and those who follow Christ. The enemy is real, but he's also relentless. The phrase here, and, and I love how Peter is using word pictures. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. This word prowls literally means to walk with purpose, to be occupied. Satan is on a mission. He's preoccupied with destruction of you and me. He wants to kill us. Make us worthless. Please understand this. He's a relentless predator. He's continually on the prowl. He will never give up until he's cast into the lake of fire. So we understand from this text the enemy is real. He's relentless but oh so dangerous. The third word of warning in verse 8. The enemy is dangerous. He's looking for someone to devour. Does the word devour sound menacing to you? It does to me. He's looking for someone to devour. The idea of devour in the Greek language here means to, to eat up greedily, to pounce on and consume it. That's what he wants. He's not playing around. He's looking for someone to devour. He doesn't want to destroy us swiftly. He wants to dismantle and leave us hurting, wounded, and without hope. The enemy is real, he's relentless, he's dangerous. If we are committed followers of Christ, he will hound us till Jesus comes or the day we die. He will hound us till Jesus comes or the day we die. Because he's going to hound us, be alert, be self-controlled. Let me tell you something. When we fall to temptation, Satan entices us. When we fall to temptation, we'll be dragged away. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth what? Sin, when it's finished, brings forth what? Death. Peter is warning every person that follows Christ in one of the most intense times of persecution. Be alert. Stay on your toes. The enemy is real. He's relentless. He will not stop until, until he ruins you. Watch out. Watch out. Now, let's make some application here. What does that mean? 
That means if we're serious about doing business for Christ in our personal life, we've got to watch out because he wants to take us out. Can I tell you how I, how I try to live my life? I live my life literally. Uh, as Todd was saying, my life verses Matthew 5, 16. I want people to see Jesus in me. And more than as, as much as that, and here, here's really how it is. I, I've, I've just based it down to this. I want my wife and my kids to know that I'm an authentic follower of Christ. If I can convince my wife and my kids that I follow Jesus, everyone else ought to be a piece of cake. Am I trying to live my life so that those who know me best know I'm an authentic follower of Christ? If not, I'm playing the game. And if I'm just playing around and I'm really not being a witness for Christ and my name my, my reputation, my character doesn't validate the relation I have with Christ. Guess what? Satan's already won over me. People ought to see Jesus in us. This isn't a joke. And I don't think you'd be here if you thought it was a joke. The fact is, I'm either making a difference for Christ or I'm not. If I am... Satan is out to get me. If I'm not, he's already got me. Moving on. Words of wisdom. We had this huge warning. Be warned. But he doesn't leave us there. He follows it up with words of wisdom, verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. If we're going to overcome the enemy, two things. We must resist him. Number one, this is an attitude. Resisting Satan is an attitude. It's a mindset. It's saying, I've got my mind made up, and to the best of my ability, I'm going to live my life today to honor Christ. I've got my eye on the prize, and I'm not going to go to the left or to the right, but my attitude is, I'm going to follow Christ today. And in the decisions that I make and the things that I do, it's my desire to honor Christ. I am going to resist Him today. Resisting Christ is an attitude. It's an attitude saying, hey, I know what the goal is today. To resist Satan means to be like Christ. He resisted Satan when Satan came to tempt him. And how did he resist him? He knew the word of God. And he answered with the word of God. Here's why. Miyagi time. Miyagi time. Look, I. Do you know why I read the scripture? I don't read the scripture so that I'll gain brownie points with God. When I committed my life to Christ, I asked him to forgive me of my sin. And because I confessed and repented of my sin... By faith in, in who Christ is, I claim His blood, and, and it's His blood that makes me right with God. So, reading God's Word doesn't make me more right with God. I'm right with God because of my faith in Christ. Reading God's Word makes me more able to stand against the schemes of Satan. Knowing the Word of God allows me to hear the voice of God. The voice of God will not confuse me. It will lead me. So if I'm going to hear God's voice, I need to know His Word. Many of us don't know God's Word like we should. 
And if we don't know God's word like we should, Satan can ruin us. Resist him. Have an attitude to resist him. Number two, if we're going to overcome the enemy, not only must we resist him, we must stand firm. This is an action. Standing firm says, I'm bracing for battle. Standing firm says, I'm taking my ground. Standing firm says, hey, I'm taking action and you're not getting me. The phrase stand firm comes from the Greek word stereos, which literally means be solid, be stable, be strong. To be strong in the faith means to stand firm, believing God's word and trusting God's will. Standing firm in the faith means I believe God's word and I trust his will and understand God's will will never, it will never Go against God's word. So Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 3 says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then you get to verse 6. And without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Standing firm in the faith means I believe God's word and I want to follow his will. So if we resist him, that's an attitude. That's making up our mind that, that, that we have our eye on the prize and we're not going to falter. Because temptation comes. Temptation comes. And you know what temptation looks like? For me, you know what temptation looks like? It doesn't look like me having a beer. I could care less. I've never had a drop of alcohol, and I don't care to. I never, I never will. But you know what temptation is to me? It's those things that catch my eye, those things that my mind will naturally wonder to. So you know what? I've got things in, in my strategy. When I die, I want my wife, and I want you to know this about her. She's the greatest person I'll ever know in this lifetime. And when I die and she goes through my junk, she goes through my junk, the files on my computer, the books in my library, and, and she, she unloads everything, and she's going through it. My life's goal is to make sure that she knew that I'm an authentic guy. I don't have no, no junk. You know why I'm that way? Because I've developed an attitude. And I developed an attitude, and I want you to hear me, and we've got to go here in a minute. I can do the worst of anything you can ever think about. Just look at, look at me and understand that I can do the worst thing you could ever think about. I can do it. And I'm looking at you, and you could do the worst thing that anyone could ever think about. And some of you are hiding things so deep down inside that you've done. That's where Satan wins. Because he's the accuser. But you know how you overcome the accuser? Confession and repentance of sin. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's gone. But you know what? We can do anything. Because I know I can do anything, I've made up my mind to live for him and resist him. 
That's the attitude. The action is, I'm doing whatever it takes to take my stand so that when he comes, he will not gain victory over me. Does anyone know what December 7th, 1941 stands for? Anybody know that? Pearl Harbor. We remember it well. But what we don't know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Listen to this. The attack of Pearl Harbor took place on a Sunday, on a sunny, sunny Sunday morning. A minimal contingent of soldiers was on duty at the time. Most offices on the base were closed, and many servicemen were on leave for the weekend. New technology, including, including the new radar mounted on, uh, on the point, were in place, manned and functioning at the time of the attack. The incoming Japanese attack planes were detected by the radar and reported, but were mistaken for an incoming group of American planes due from the mainland that morning. While on practice maneuvers outside the harbor that morning, an American destroyer spotted a Japanese submarine attempting to sneak into the harbor. The submarine was fired upon, immediately reported, and then ignored. Despite these and many other warnings, Pearl Harbor faced great loss that day. The losses and ill-preparedness came from one major cause. Understand this. The losses and ill-preparedness came from one major cause. No one believed it could really happen we're in spiritual warfare sometimes we call it a bad day sometimes we blame it on mean people but many times we're under heavy assault from from satan and he's seeking to destroy us and make us useless to the kingdom wow be alert be self-controlled Your enemy, the devil, prowls around seeking whom he may devour. Resist him and stand firm. If we're going to see God do things, we've got to make up our mind that we're going to stand. We've got to make up our mind that we're going to resist him. The stakes are high. And God's calling us to do greater things for him. Everyone is standing, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Tonight we've talked about something that is real, and in my mind it most often goes ignored. The thing is, Satan wants to to keep us from making a difference. He wants to keep us from having positive influence for the kingdom of God. Tonight, I believe, as led by the Spirit of God, If there's unconfessed sin, I think we need to deal with it. As long as we have unconfessed sin, Satan has us bottled up and we'll never be of much worth to advance the kingdom of God. Some of us need to come and confess before God our sin. When we confess our sin, once again, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Not only that, some of us may be Right now, you're involved in things. You've taken your eye off the prize. You're involved in things you know you shouldn't be involved in. And it could be any number. It could be any number of things. Maybe you need to come and confess these. Some of you, maybe. It's been found out about some things. And and maybe you need to come and make these things right with God. Others of you, maybe you need to come and 
and recommit your, your life and your walk. Maybe some of you have lost your focus. You've taken your eye off the prize. We're called as God's people to advance the kingdom. And if we're not advancing the kingdom, we're losing ground. Spiritual warfare is real and we need to deal with it. Maybe you need to come and pray for wisdom and strength. If God has spoken and you know the Spirit is leading you to do business with God, I think we need to come and pray and recommit our lives to live for Him so that we make a difference that will impact our world for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your Word has gone out. And I believe Your Spirit has spoken and is speaking. And God, tonight I know You laid this on my heart because we're dealing with this. Every person within the sound of my voice is dealing with this. And God, we've, we've got to make up our mind. We've got to have an attitude. And we've got to have action that resists Satan and stands against him. God, help us in your power and in your strength to overcome the evil one. Now, I pray that you'd bless this time of invitation. Help us to be honest and real. That your spirit deals with us. May we follow in faithful obedience. Hear this prayer and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. If God has spoken, you feel the need to come, you come.